So I'm trying to decide if the most often used phrase in 1943 in general across all movies is it would be your patriotic duty or it's my patriotic duty. I feel like people talk about this a lot. Yeah, I think I I think in this movie, though, it's pretty flexible in terms of if they actually mean it or if they just kind of use it as a means to their own end, though. But isn't that kind of true always? Like, I, yeah. I don't know. We're we're millennials. I, I came up in the post 9-11 era where it felt like at least that year there was an explosion of patriotism. And uh, because my patriotic duty, uh, I feel like that that is almost a parallel. It feels like it gets tossed around a lot. Yeah. No, yeah, I. That's why it's it's nice for for some stuff that's coming out now to be like countries. Who cares about countries? Who cares what country you're born in? Just yeah. <laughs> I I would have to agree with you as and also as a first generation American, I definitely agree with that. Um, but yeah, I feel like like parallels patriotic duty and then also people thinking a random object or joke is actually a serious terrorist threat like the binoculars or i mean we can never leave a package a backpack a a suitcase anywhere by itself ever again you're just not allowed to do that and i was like you know what some things really don't change (laughs) yeah that's true um if if the government wants to investigate you, they'll find a way. <laughs> oh boy. True in 1943, <laughs> true in 2021. Beam, boom, bow, let's go. Damn right. the torpedoes. Full steam ahead. This is Necromancer. Necromancer. My name is Shira, and I'm a fan of rom-coms. I am joined, as always, by Brett. What kind of movies do you like? I like horror movies. <gasps> oh, gasp. <gasps> Who would have guessed? <laughs> yes, and every week here at Necromancer, Brett picks a spooky ooky horror movie. I pick a lovey dovey rom com, and then we flip flop those movies. We turn the rom com into a horror and the horror into a rom com. And this week, we are continuing the theme of, you guessed it, the year 1943. <laughs> We're going back. We're visiting Grandma Flo, seeing her in her prime when she was high and tight. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry. I'm on something today. Not like literally, but I I don't know. The, the spirit moves me. Yeah, damn the torpedoes. Full yeah, 1943 I, ahead. I I think this movie does make me feel giddy while watching it. And maybe that's what is got me being so silly is this movie is silly and it makes me want to feel silly. Yes, uh, Sonia. Even and I though the war is going on, 
Right, even though that even though there's a war going on. Uh yeah, Sonia and I watched this together and we just we talked throughout the whole thing, like with the characters having I'm fun. I'm a movie with the talker characters. too. Yeah, and we're like, oh, don't read that diary. Oh, that's not gonna end well. Um yeah, it's it was just a delight. It was a delightful little movie. You know, I will have to say that this movie did have to hit me three times before I could really come to appreciate it. Because the first time I watched it, it watched me. Similar to Frankenhooker, I just turned on TCM and I was like, Gene Arthur, Joel McRae, let's see what it's all about. And then snooze two hours later, Robert Osborne is introducing another movie Uh, And then the second time I watched it for this podcast, in fact, I will admit that I was also trying to work at the same time. And then I was also trying to write my pitch, my my romance pitch for The Leopard, which mm, turned out to be so much fun. Mm -hmm. Uh, And I'll be honest, I really didn't let the movie stick with me. And then... We, we ended up recording this episode a little bit later. Um, and so I had to refresh myself on the movie. So I watched it a third time. And then this time I was like, oh, this is great. This is delightful. So clever. So cute. Yeah, I watched it twice. And the first time I loved it. And then the second time I, I fell asleep a little bit, but I only watched it because I needed to write down the specifics. So like I kind of dozed in and out of the movie. Um, but like, yeah, it is awkwardly. It's awkward because the movie has it's not it's like about awkward people. Yeah, but it's also set up in terms of like these weird set pieces that yes. take time to get momentum going. But then once they do it. You know, I don't, there's, it's just weird. It's weird. But also, yeah, if you're paying attention, if you're not distracted, it's a, it's a really fun movie and there's a lot of great lines in it. Oh yeah. It's incredibly clever. And what you were describing made me think this is a movie that kind of works on you in degrees. Like you might not immediately fall for the charm of the premise, but then it just keeps cranking it up, kind of like boiling a frog slowly or whatever that metaphor is. Yeah. Uh, and then by the time you realize the pot's boiling, it's, you know, you're you're fully in it. But uh, yeah, I feel like this is one of those movies where I, I would say to someone, give this a chance, you know, just give yeah. it a chance and, and it'll work on you. Yeah. That's why it's nice to have theaters show old movies. Oh, I love it. Shout out to Austin Film Society. Yeah. And Alamo Draft House. They just did a, a screening of The Howling, 1981, The Howling. And the first time I Howling. watched that, I watched it at home and I pretty much fell asleep throughout that movie. But then this time in the theaters, I was actively watching and participating through the movie, not distracted. And I had a blast with it. So. Oh, I agree. A hot tip for anybody who's not sure about old movies. If if you're lucky enough to live in a city that, that has a place that shows them, just go and try and see one in theaters. Like I was raving about with the leopard man, they're short. 
These are not Marvel length movies. This is not a huge time commitment. And, you know, it's nice to go out and feel a little glamorous, go to the theater, whatever. Uh, And yeah, I really feel like older movies tend to be so much more fun uh, in the theater because, you know, that's in 1943, they couldn't just watch any movie they wanted on TV. They had to go. And then they also wanted to go. It seemed like people really had an actual outside life which sounds weird to think about now because so many people have very interior lives whether that's because of the year that we're in or just the way that culture is developed i'm kind of envious of them going out on the town like it was expected that they would go out like of course i'm gonna go out i mean i know what, what are we gonna saying? do at home i know what you know what we can do at home we can play Spider-Man. We can <laughs> cuddle cats. We can... Uh, they didn't have Spider-Man. <laughs> I, I guarantee you, though, if Joel McRae had a PlayStation, he wouldn't leave home either. Yeah. Uh... <laughs> but he didn't have a PlayStation. He had Gene Arthur. <laughs> I wouldn't leave home either then as well. <laughs> uh all right well should we go ahead and get into it yeah uh i picked the year 1943 based on what was that guy's name again who produced the leopard man val luton yeah val luton based on him i looked him up picked a picked a movie called the leopard man because it sounded cool and then immediately it seemed you were like oh yeah 1943 easy the more the merrier how, how? Why? Good question. Well, I looked up the year to see what rom-coms had been produced then. And to me, that was the clear standout because it was highly celebrated. You've got three great leads. Charles Coburn kind of plays the supporting um, father figure in a lot of romantic comedies in that era. He's He's, you know, one of those those character actors of the era that you know probably has like over a hundred credits because he's just so good at that role um and then huge joel mccray fan he's amazing in sullivan's travels uh the palm beach story he just has great chemistry with virtually everyone I don't think I've seen a movie where Joel McRae didn't have chemistry with the lead actress. And Jean Arthur, yeah. I will say, not to shade Jean Arthur, she's not my favorite leading lady of this era, but she's in a really funny movie called Easy Living, where it's not Charles Coburn, but it's a Charles Coburn type. He um, drops his wife fur coat out the window because he's I think his wife is cheating on him and he's like I'm tired of it you don't get to have this coat anymore and then the coat falls on Gene Arthur and then a bunch of things happen from there like the coat is basically bad luck for her because then Aww. people start to think that she's his mistress like where'd you get that coat young lady and it's it's practically cursed but it just puts her through all these funny little situations because all she did was stand under this window and this right. coat fell on her. And so I just knowing her from easy living and, and loving that premise, I thought, okay, the more the merrier, that's a lock. Yeah. Um, the, the fact that something happens to her out of nowhere reminds me a little bit of Sam Raimi and how his characters are just unlucky. 
Yeah. But I, there's the only difference being romantic hijinks and evil spirits coming up from hell to take your soul. Hey, I think if Sam Raimi wanted to spin his wheels and write a rom-com, he'd probably write oh, an awesome one. Yeah, no doubt. <laughs> I'm I'm here for the Sam Raimi rom-com. Somebody tell him. Yeah. Um So yeah, I don't know if you you want to just get right on into it. Um yeah, I think I think we've set it up all we can. Let's let's get in. Let's do it. More the merrier. The more the merrier. All right, so we open up. This is 1943, and there's we're still at war. And so there's a bunch of men who are missing from town. All the men have left. Um, and because They're overseas. Of this, right. Because of this, or either way, there's a, there's a housing crisis in D.C., right? This is going to be the driving undercurrent of the story is everybody's got to go there if they're not in dc they're at war right so everyone needs to be in dc because this isn't like internet times we need everyone focused in the capital of the country so we can beat up the nazis and and the japanese which we'll get to yeah we'll get to (laughs) uh (laughs) this movie is very much of its time yeah um, but, uh, so housing, there's, there's no housing, there's no affordable housing, especially. And, uh, this guy, Benjamin Dingle, he shows up. What is he? He's like a lobbyist. Something like that. Of, he's, of he's like, a, he's like a rich guy who he's kind of like the fantasy of a benevolent capitalist. I don't know right. exactly yeah, what no, he is. Yeah. But- he's got tons of money, but also he wants to make things better for poor people. He really that doesn't does. make sense. He really does. And he, he kind of wants to undercover boss it, I guess. Yeah. He's just super low key, ultra rich. But he's also just like very idealistic. So he comes to town. He's supposed to be helping out Senator Noonan with some kind of bill that's going to be making affordable housing or something. And unfortunately, he shows up two days early and the senator is out of town and he was supposed to get back two days ago. So while Dingle is two days early, Noonan is two days late. So there's this void of him not having a hotel room because they're so overbooked. So what does he do? He goes to the newspaper and, well, first he visits the statue of the guy who said, damn the torpedoes, full steam ahead. Oh my God, I actually missed that. (laughs) I didn't know that there was an, so who says it? Do we know or do we just see his statue? Uh, I mean, we see his statue and it's engraved on there or it's, I, I don't know, the character knows of him. Dingle um, loves this phrase more than anything. More than anything in the world. And at first I thought this was going to be like a cute little thing that popped up every now and then. But this is said two to three times in every single scene. <laughs> but is by there the end a comparison of it, for that? Eh. Like, I think I don't know. he says it as much as Austin think. Powers says, yeah, baby. Yeah, you're right. And it's or and sometimes he'll go through my wife. <laughs> my wife. Uh he goes through Damn the, the whole song sometimes. <laughs> uh but it's very cute. It's very fun. Um 
and he he go he goes to the newspaper, opens it up, sees a bunch of rooms that are are for um what does he see? So it's I mean in these in these stone age pre-internet times People had to submit their ads through the newspaper. No Craigslist. And there's so many people looking for a room and literally one that's offering a room. Right. And so when we show up to that person's house, there's a whole crowd of people around and they're all waiting to talk. It's like five o'clock or almost not quite yet five o'clock. So it's assumed that nine to five at five o'clock, this person's going to be showing up at their house and then everyone's going to want the room and it's going to be a, 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 a mad feeding frenzy for the room. Bloodbath. Right. But then one of the things that I love out of anything in, in any movies is when a character does something like they act like they belong or they're in charge, even though they're not. Oh um, yeah, he does it so easily too. He it's just very, very funny. Effortlessly walks right up, takes the sign down for for room vacancy or whatever, and then he says, "Hey guys, sorry, rooms rooms not for rent." And they're all like, "What do you mean?" And he's like, "There was a mistake. Sorry, guys." Maybe next time I'll put up another ad if it's if it's back for rent. And the one lady's like, well, do we get to ask why you made us come through all the trouble of coming down here? And he's like, nope, bye. Goes inside, shuts the door, goes up to the room, goes to knock. A lady shows up, lady enters, then he knocks, then she opens. And then we have a cute little scene of, you know, like, listen, stranger, Mr. Dingle. All right, Mr. Dingle. And I just love how people in these old movies immediately, they're always trying to clarify each other's statements. And then they're immediately adopting that into their language. Oh, yeah. It it all happens very quickly. Another thing I recommend is if you don't have the fortune to see an old movie in theaters, when you watch it at home, have subtitles. It definitely doesn't hurt because uh, things fly by pretty fast. I, I like I think she says at this point something like I used to work in the office of facts and figures when they're yeah. getting to the detail about their lives. I just I love little lines like that, that. You know, it sounds so made up, but it's just perfect for the movie. <laughs> uh, yeah, so he has to convince her because she doesn't want an old man living in her room. She's she's pretty dead set on, even though the ad doesn't say it, she's only going to rent it out to a woman. Now, this guy is very pushy in a very charming way, but... If you just accept the fact that you're in this movie for hijinks and shenanigans, it's very cute because he only needs one week and he makes a joke out of it like, hey, I'll pay you for one week. After that, if you don't like me, we'll flip a coin, see who stays. And it's cute (laughs) and fun. And then immediately she's like, "Okay, I have a schedule this is the schedule we're going to follow at seven o'clock. I wake up. The risk up. assessor has at, av- arrived <laughs> at seven Oh one at seven Oh two at seven Oh three. And she goes <laughs> by it minute by minute until seven thirty, And it's a very fast paced, fun scene. And, and uh, Dingle is trying to keep up with the plan. Like he's really paying attention and trying to keep up. And what's even funnier about Oh, but it's just going it, wrong all the way. Well, I think what's even funnier and cuter about it is 
well, he says goodnight. And so he sings the song goodnight. And that's where it's revealed that these walls are very thin, which will come into play later. Um, right. And then he asks her if she keeps a diary and she's like, no, like implying (laughs) diaries are for kids. And then he drops the little nugget that there's only one kind of person writes in their diary, right? People who are too busy, not living. Cause if you're too busy living, you ain't got time to be writing. Right. Cool people. Fonzies don't keep diaries. Yeah. And he also asks if she's married and she is appalled by this question and rightfully so as the implication. Gene Arthur does appalled very well. (laughs) As the implication is why not? You need a man. And so, but I did like the phrase like high class, clean cut type of guy, because that also comes into play later. Very good at setting up a bunch of like little nuggets that will, drop down every now and then. Um, And so in the morning, he is totally 100% game to do her schedule. And he's really genuinely trying his best. Only he's got a little bit of Mr. Magoo morning syndrome where he's like (laughs) bumping into everything and closing the door while she's outside and getting the the Mr. Magoo and, morning syndrome? Yeah, he's stumbling around the place. He doesn't know where anything is. He locks her out, and then he's outside. <laughs> I he's love that he does that. That, sh- uh, that she already got, but then she locks him outside, so he's got to climb the side of the building like Neo in the Matrix and knock on her bathroom window. It's always creepy when bathrooms have windows. But he spooks her, and then immediately she's not like, oh my god, you're some kind of pervert. Immediately she's like, what are you doing outside? And then, Dingle. And, aw, and then he loses his pants, he can't find his pants, and it's just a, 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 a whole domino effect of crazy morning routine, close quarters shenanigans. Uh, but she's like, Hey, we got to go downstairs if you're going to catch a ride with us. Cause so-and-so shows up right at seven 32. And then we pick so-and-so up at seven 34 and then blah, 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 seven 36. But he says, no, he leaves late and on his way. And again, so this is like 20 minutes into the movie is just dingle and shenanigans. And what's her name? Uh, uh Connie. Connie. Yeah. It's just Dingle and Connie. Connie and Dingle. Uh, classic Connie and Dingle mess around. And I'm going to be honest. I'm thinking, okay, I get it. The movie is set in a very overcrowded DC. But why is it called The More the Merrier? Ah. 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 Enter <laughs> Joe Carter. Mr. Army Man Joe Carter with a giant propeller in his arms. Uh He shows up and he's got a newspaper. He's clearly late to the party because he missed the giant crowding yesterday. But he needs an apartment. And lucky for Joe Carter, Dingle is like super duper patriotic and wants to help this handsome young man who happens to be a high class, clean cut type of guy. Ah. You yeah, see where this here, is going, here comes 1943 Ryan Gosling walking down yeah. the street and 
this meddling matchmaker can't resist. I I love meddling matchmakers are definitely one of my favorite character tropes in rom-coms. It's so yeah. fun. He's a Cupid. He's a tiny he's a little Cupid, an old man Cupid. He reminded me a little bit of um the the leprechaun from the Irish movie. Oh, Luck he's of the Irish. totally he's totally like the leprechaun in Luck of the Irish. He just he loves setting people up. Yeah, and it's it's very cute just how pushy he is. But it's also like, yeah, you're right. Um, Joel McCrea and Gene Arthur have such great chemistry that you can't help but want to see them together. Well, I think it's even cuter because so Gene Arthur rents her half to Dingle. Dingle rents half of his half. So Joel McRae, uh Carter has a quarter of that apartment. Yeah. Which is and kind of so adorable. Perfectly, it's so perfectly set up because during the morning, during the hijinks and when he's stumbling around, he hits something on the wall and a bed falls down from the wall. So there's two beds in his room. And then like, that's just a little teaser of the fact that he's going to rent out just half of his room which is so perfect because now we've got a more the merrier situation Um, so many people such a tiny little apartment and so while he's playing cupid uh he's also got to what's what's really crazy and funny about this is he rents the he rents the place to her then they go out and then they return from work. And as they return from work or their jobs or outdoor lives or whatever, they Dingle's got to try to arrange it so that they have a meet cute that will establish a solid rom-com foundation for the rest of the movie. However, because this is a sort of, two people who don't want to be together kind of movie. Uh, The meet cute goes very wrong, despite him trying his absolute best, right? So she comes home, Connie comes home, and then he's got to try to keep them in separate rooms as they're walking back and forth. And he's got to do the thing of like, wait, I've got to tell you something important. And then she leaves the room and then he's like, oh, never mind. Uh, it, It can wait. And so it's a lot of stuff like that. It's kind of like in a sitcom when a character decides to do two dates and they don't want the dates to find out that they're on two dates, but he's still doing it and it's great here. Right. And I think the implication is he's not going to keep the secret forever. But again, as a Cupid type, um, like if this movie were kind of like Bedazzled, where at the beginning of Bedazzled, it shows all those people and they've got the little facts about them. If you included a little four to five line voiceover from Morgan Freeman, establishing the fact that Dingle was a Cupid, like an angel sent down from heaven, the rest of this movie would make a hundred percent sense instead of 99%. Oh yeah. I mean, if, if, yeah, if it's revealed that he's a guardian angel and he literally grew wings and shot up into the sky, I would not have been surprised at all. I mean, is it any more improbable than the flying car in Greece? Mm -mm. If anything, more probable. (laughs) So, so, um, 
I so, also <laughs> I wanted to say I also found it funny that Joel McRae for some reason likes to bark like a seal. Like water comes down on him and he's like, I'm a seal. And well, you know, I'm not gonna kink shame the guy, you're seal kin, you do you. But no, yeah, he's he a is military very... guy. He's been through boot camp. He's he gotta wait be silly. Right. When he takes a shower, he's a man. He's gotta like wake up and and bring out his inner manliness. He's an army guy. Uh, so Connie says no, absolutely. Seals not. are manly because he goes arf arf arf. Right, but it's like it's like banging your chest like a like a gorilla or something. You know, it's it's fun. definitely more seal like. But well, I, I'll no, let you I'm, have but, this. But the <laughs> animalistic act of puffing out your chest or barking loudly is ask Ernie; he'll tell you um yeah he so, knows what you mean <laughs> and so uh so she reluctantly has to agree to let them stay for like the next two days because he's shipping out in two days and dingle's it's her gonna patriotic be duty right i mean it, it doesn't hurt that he's a very handsome man what is but, it uh high cut clean yeah a high class clean cut type of man yeah, high class, um, clean And so again, this movie wins me over by the fact that the next morning, they both are super gung-ho about waking up in the morning. Uh, uh, Dingle is no longer in Mr. Magoo mode. He's in straight-up boot camp, rise and shine, right at 7 o'clock, choo-choo mode. And so they're acting like a bunch of silly boys while she's the prim and proper working class professional type um and so they go off to work they come back it's the middle of the day or something and so they decide to go to the top of the roof to relax oh i love this scene which makes sense for 1943 new york like, it also seems like it's probably hot be? out there and it's like right. ugh, like don't want to stay inside where there's no central air uh better go up on the roof and then everybody else is on their roofs too which i it's thought the was community really cute. aspect of yeah like everyone at least knew their neighbor enough to say hi to them on the roof um and so i love the part where they're reading the comic Oh, and uh, she's like, why don't you read the editorials? Yeah. Oh. But in her Gene Arthur voice, of course. Right. But it's cute how they're reading it together, like doing the voices and taking turns and flipping the pages. And, on and their... they like Superman. Yeah. Dingle's like, I never miss Superman. <laughs> yeah. Um, and so she leaves, but she does happen to leave behind her diary. Now... Oh. There is a cute little bit. I just wanted to to add. I like the bit because at this point, Connie has revealed that she's engaged oh, to right. Mr. Pendergast. Pendergast. No first, no first name. <laughs> I mean, well, he has one, and they make fun right. of her for not using it. Um, right. But she's like, no, he's Mr. Pendergast, even though he's my fiance, and dingle fakes that he's reading a column about her and pendergast and he's being 
kind of like he's teasing her. He's throwing a little shade. And so she actually leaves because she's like, oh, I can't stand how immature you're being. And then he proceeds to be even more immature by saying, looky, looky, who left their diary? Right. And Dingle's totally into it because he's like a Loki. He's a troublemaker. He's got to get. Oh, who would you read the diary? I would 100% have read the diary. I wouldn't have rubbed it in her face the way that he kind of did. But I I definitely would have taken a looky-loo at some of these pages. Okay. I recommended a little video game called Bug Fables, like months and months ago. And I played through the first level, like the first journey of it. And then I kind of put it down. But lately I've been going back up and like, you know, pick up, do a little side quest, put it down. Pick up, do a little side quest, put it down. The current village I'm in has a, has a hotel room spot where there's a diary out in the open. And I have the chance to read it if I want to. But I purposefully chose not to read the diary because I don't think that's right. Even in a video game? Even in a video game, I'm really hoping I'm really hoping that later the character will somehow reward me for it and give me like a super potion. But I I hope that happens. But that is so funny to me because when I was playing, I can't remember the name, but the co-op game about guys getting out of prison. Uh, anytime we had a choice between killing people and going peacefully, I was like, no, Doug, we have to do the nice thing. I don't want to kill yeah. them. And you were like, no, you should do it. You should do the, the crazy thing. Well, I mean, if I'm going to role play as a guy breaking out of prison, uh, you know, <laughs> when in Westworld. Uh, <laughs> Such and- different philosophies. But yes, I digress. Go on. And, and so uh, uh, Carter, Joe, Joe Carter is is not into it. He's warning her. He's warning her over and over and over. However, as, as uh, Dingle's reading it, Connie does show back up and it looks like they're both going through it. She is absolutely Uh disgusted. She takes it back. She says that is a very cruel thing to do. Dingle tries to go down and console her, but she is unconsolable. She does not like the fact that he went through her diary and rightfully so. So she puts down an ultimatum. She's like, no, you guys are out. And they both respect that Dingle. In fact, leaves because he he can pretty much go to his hotel i think at this point yeah right? yeah he, i mean and he's already right. he's already started the ball rolling between these two he knows right, that it's yeah, time he, to yeah. let things marinate at a certain point you just got to get out of the way you got to set it and forget it um and so joel does pack everything up and has all the intentions of leaving however his leaving and her getting back from work just happened to nudge into each other ever so slightly. Of course they do. And I love, I absolutely love the part when Joe hands over the letter to her that's from Dingle saying, please excuse Mr. Carter from all diary reading. Um, you know, he's like, he, he, he professed many times that I should not read the diary. Please excuse him. It's all my fault, not his. And she's like, couldn't you have wrote this and given it to me? And he's like, yeah, but does it sound like I wrote it? Because Dingle has a very specific way of talking. And it's so, a very smart comeback. 
Yeah, it's it's very good because it's clear. Like only Dingle could have written that letter. And then I love how Joe asks for it back for his records as if to say oh. if if ever cuz he's an army man. What if he's court-martialed one time and he needs a character witness and someone is like this is the kind of guy who will read your diary. He can pull out from his <laughs> from his personal records. He can pull out this note from Mr. Dingle saying no. Mr. Carter is not a diary reader. He's, he's also, not a diary just, just to set the scene, since you're listening to a podcast instead of watching a video <laughs> with this movie playing in the background, this is all happening when they're in their separate rooms, that very thin wall separating him. And so when she hands him back the letter, they both have their heads hanging out of the window and they're talking to each other there, which I thought was a very cute, close proximity cohabitation setup. They're in their separate compartments, pillow talk style, but it's all very intimate. Right. It's not quite like that yet, but it sets up the, oh, it's the, getting the there. ultimate. It's it sets up the ultimate set piece of this movie. Um but then he also hands her a travel luggage. He gets her a travel luggage. Oh, and it's beautiful. Like, the most beautiful bag in the world. And functional. I yeah. want that fucking bag. It's it's pretty much like the the most ultimate travel it's it's like uh it's like an iron man traveling luggage of 1943 it's got compartments everywhere it's durable it like it's like tony stark invented it um tony stark's dad right (laughs) and then uh they end up going out to the club so what happens is oh i love the setup for it yeah so what happens is they she's going to go out with her her fiance Mr. Pendergast. However, there is a chance because sometimes Mr. Pendergast it's it turns out that Dingle knows Pendergast because they're both working for the same senator and both trying to achieve the exact same lobbyist thing, which is they both want affordable housing for everyone. So they're both good guys. Dingle and Pendergast are both good guys. We don't have quite the bad guy Bellamy set up where it's obvious that he's like, he's not the one who wants to make he's houses just only boring. for He's he just is. boring. He's just boring and out of touch and his toupee is horrible. But we'll we'll get to him. We'll but get she, she teases, she's like, well, sometimes, sometimes, sometimes he's not able to come. So maybe, and they're both just, visibly thrilled by the idea that Pendergast will cancel. The audience the audience wants him to cancel. She wants him to cancel. Joe this wants him to even, cancel. The whole world is hoping that this man is not going to show It's not up. even a cancel. It's a no-show. Because if it was a cancel, that could be done through text or phone call. I mean, not text like 1943, but you know what I mean? Wire? Like, right. <laughs> send a wire. Send a, a a newsie. Like, send a kid. Here, kid, here's a quarter. <laughs> Go run and deliver this to my fiance. That seems like a valid method to get messages <laughs> Mrs. Soon in to be 1943. <laughs> um, and so it's it's just like they're waiting for whatever it is, 5 p.m. or 6 p.m., whatever. Let's just say 6 p.m. They're waiting for 6 p.m. so bad. Because oh, and they're all PM, dressed up too. Like they're right. ready to go on this not a date together. That's only her patriotic duty. Going out with him 
It's her patriotic duty. It has nothing to do with him being a high class, clean cut, sexy yeah. dude. It's like it's like in college. If your professor is 15 minutes late, you get to leave. So everyone is like 15 <laughs> yeah. at the 14 minute mark. Everyone's like, yeah, we're about to leave. <laughs> but then just as they're about to leave, uh, the kid shows up. Well, I, don't, I forgot what his name is. Yeah, the, just the, the annoying the kid who's into Connie. Oh, Morton. <laughs> Morton Rodicult. Morton. <laughs> And so Morton shows up and he really needs Connie's help. It turns out he does not know if he should be a Boy Scout or not. And so she's just blasting through it, right? Like, don't do it. Yes, do it. No, yes, I don't care. Yes. And he's like, you're right. I should do it. And then the phone rings. I mean, there's only one person it could be. But however, if they don't answer. Oh, that's right. She tries to unplug the phone. Right. Well, yeah. No, you're right. The phone is off the hook so that so that while the kid is there, she sneaks the phone off the hook. But then he puts he's like, oh, your phone's off the line. Here we go. Saved you some money or whatever. And then the phone rings and the kid picks up her phone. What an a-hole. The audacity. And so, of course, it's Mr. Pendergast. Of course, the whole night is ruined. So she has to go out to dinner with him. And then Carter goes downstairs. And who does he bump into outside but Dingle? Hey, Dingle. Oh, important setup at this point. We get to that reference to the Japanese, which is... Joel McRae gets out these binoculars and then he kind of spooks Morton by saying, I'm a Jap. I I don't mean that. Like that is, that's what he says. And obviously this movie was in 1943, deep into the internment times. Um, And so, yeah, the, the, the social, the social climate made that joke. Like I'm sure people went wild over it. Um, oh yeah, I'm sure. I'm sure it was hysterical at that time for everybody who wasn't Japanese. Um, but this comes back to haunt the characters later, much like a luggage accidentally left in an airport. But <laughs> 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 no, and uh, yeah, but yeah, Dingle, Dingle, and Carter are out on the town. So uh, Dingle's kind of new to town ish, right? But he takes them to, of course. Of all the bars in all the towns in all the countries, it's got to be the same bar that uh, Mr. and soon-to-be Mrs. Pendergast go to. So while they bump into each other there, uh, Dingle knows Pendergast because they're working on the lobby bill. So Pendergast is such a good guy and he's he he works so hard and he's so determined to get this very good bill through congress that he decides he's going to spend the extra time with dingle to really make this a foolproof thing which means as dingle suggests carter and connie can dance the night away the rumba where did you learn the rumba it's very, very cool, very sexy. Uh, oh, and can I just say, Jean Arthur has never looked better than how she looks in the scene because she is all dressed up, not for Pendergast. Clearly, she got right. dressed. 
thinking that she and Joe would go out. They still go out. She's wearing this amazing nice. floor length, almost Morticia style off the shoulder black lace dress. Her hair's in that high pile of curls. She just looks great. Joel McRae looks handsome. It's very romantic. It is. It's very romantic. And it leads up to the doorstep scene. Now, they walk home, and they go to the doorstep, and they they want to say goodbye, but they also want to do a little bit of kissing. But she can't because she's she's engaged. So he gets closer and closer and closer and closer to her. They sit down. She very subtly tries to stop him from doing it, but he keeps getting closer. And then finally they kiss and then they have to split up because now it's like, okay, we kissed, but we can't go any further. We absolutely cannot go any further. So we should just both go home. Right. So she goes to the door to go home and then he takes a few steps away to walk home. But oopsie, the more the merrier. They're both staying in the same home. So Uh-oh. <laughs> I I really do, you know, in in argument for older romantic comedies, they are master classes when it comes to emotional tension And the way that people, I don't know, there's just something sexy about repressed emotions and old movies do it better. Well, this scene is the foreplay for them saying goodnight to each other, which is, as you mentioned, extremely pillow talky in the sense that they are now both in their separate beds, in their separate rooms, but they are intimately whispering to each other and admitting their love for each other. And when he asks, when he admits he loves her, and then she's all she's swooning over him, and then he's like, she's he's like, Do you love me? And she says, If I say yes, would you stay where you are? And he says, Yes. And then she's like, I love you more than anything in the world, which again is very melodramatic, but you have they go to understand from zero to to hundred so quickly. <laughs> this whole scene is basically just a, a a very thorough consent check of is it okay for us to fuck? Because <laughs> that's what but they want to do. They want to so badly, but she's still trying to be good. She's like, you can't come over here. But as soon as she says it, he sits up in bed. And you know, the thing on his mind is, I should go over there. Yep. But Joel McCray is a good guy. He's he a good guy. Back down. He respects the fact that even though he doesn't like that she's getting married to Mr. Pendergast, she he gets that she does need to be married before any tomfoolery goes on so um so just as they're like getting comfortable with each other the fbi oh, they shows were, up he was gonna come over there at some point oh, yeah. it, it was gonna happen or she was gonna go over there that would have been even better yeah, and that would have been. And and then it, the fucking fuzz comes. The FBI shows up, and they've got reports of someone spying out the window, and it turns out that the where they're staying is the perfect eyeline away from, like, the Mint, the U.S. Mint <laughs> Development Building. And so the FBI is then like, 
But it was also the Japanese joke, right? Like Morton right. actually thought he was Japanese and told someone, and then somehow the FBI got wind of it, and they're like, there's well, a I Japanese think- man in the apartment with binoculars looking at the building. I think what happens, this is my this is my headcanon. I think <laughs> what happens is he makes the Jap joke to the kid as a sort of like you ruined my night. Get the fuck out of here. You know what I mean? He's like, I don't even want to see you. So he makes the joke. The kid runs off. Then I think the kid just calls the FBI to be a dick. I mean, but how do we get all the way up to the FBI? Well, because this is 1943. We're in the middle of a war. Japan is our enemy. Uh, and so the, and they're in the capital, they're in the, the country's capital. So when the FBI shows up, they do at one point, one of them turns to the other and says, Hey, this guy doesn't look like Japanese. And they're like, well, we got to take him in anyway. Cause rules is rules. You know, what are you going to do about it? So they take him in and it's very clear that Joe Carter is an army guy. Right. He's even got the uniform and they're like, well, why weren't you wearing your uniform when you were spying out the window? He's like, I see fine without it on. And it's just (laughs) all this weird stuff. But it's clear. However, Joe Carter needs his superior to show up and just give him the green beret special ops type of soldier or something because he can't even tell Connie what his assignment is. It's just vaguely in Africa. Oh, So this is where the movie starts to like, I could have done without the whole FBI thing. Oh, it went on forever, but it was, it was great to see Mr. Dingle pull his heel turn and completely deny, deny, deny any involvement at all with Connie and Joe. And they are furious. (laughs) So yeah. So the FBI is like, well, Hey, what's going on here? And then it's revealed. Mr. Pendergast finds out that, wait, my wife is staying in this house and Joe Carter is staying in this house. That means they're both together, but it's not what they think it is, but it is what they think it is. (laughs) So then they all get into the cab, but the cabbie can, can only leave when it's a full cab because there's a cab shortage because there's so many people. Everybody's sharing rides. They all get into the cab. They're all arguing. They're all bickering. Who's with who? Who's sleeping with who? Who's in the same bed as who? Who's who's what? Who's where? And then they make a stop at the newspaper, the Washington Post or whatever. And the cabbie calls to the guy, the other guy, the random stranger in the back who turns out to be a journalist. He thanks them for their sensationalistic story because back then... Like you said, people had lives primarily outside of their homes. So, like, people read about each other in the paper. So, the idea that Mr. Pendergast involved in some kind of scandal is so outrageous. So, Mr. Pendergast has to leave to try to convince the newspaper man not to do it. And then Dingle has the great idea of, you know, this technically wouldn't be a scandal if you guys were married and you got ahead of it. I just love that he he brings us to another one of my favorite rom-com tropes ever. And it you see it a lot in uh, historical romance books, but the marriage of convenience is just yeah. such a fun setup. Like, I know you guys don't want to be married, but 
you're just gonna have to get married but I, what i like about this is he specifically says all right the plan is easy right you get married there's an announcement in the paper that you're married so when it gets out that you two were sleeping in the same house everyone's gonna think it's technically gonna be on paper right again for joe carter's personal files technically on paper they were married so it's okay for them to be in the same house after curfew or sundown or whatever but what I love is he goes, all right, it's easy. You guys go down to whatever, South Carolina, you get married, you come back, you wait a day, you get an annulment, and then you go on your separate ways. He's like, all you have to do is cooperate. <laughs> and by cooperate, he means all you got to do is not fuck. <laughs> because once uh-huh. you fuck, you can't get an annulment. And so uh-huh. that's what I also, happens. Uh, before we, we, we get in, we finish up with the ending here. I do like to say that Connie does kind of grow a spine in the last scene with Pendergast. And I like that she tells oh, him, right, you yeah. shushed your last shush. Yeah. And she's just like, I'm done with you. I've been engaged to you for over a year. You're not that nice. Screw you, yeah. Pendergast. So, I mean, even though she's being manipulated into this uh, marriage of convenience by Dingle, she's going into it with no feelings about Pendergast. Right. And it's nice that Pendergast is a nice guy, but he gets a little moment in there so that when she tells him off, it's justified. But he doesn't get poo-pooed on. He doesn't deserve no. that. He's trying he just to gets help told off. people in D.C. Right. He's too busy to be with her. Um, and so they get married. She's miserable throughout the whole thing because it's I... not like a... It's not like a wedding like she had planned, I guess. Like, she's just sad about the fact that it's not the dream. Is that Yeah, it? I think she's sad that it, it isn't the marriage or wedding that she envisioned. But I think she also, without knowing yet, like, without them having that clarifying conversation about their feelings, she thinks that Joe doesn't want to be married to her. And he oh, is waiting right. to annul the marriage and then go off to Africa and never see her again. It, well, it's kind of like their relationship is either we're together or we're strangers for the rest of our lives. Right. The only reason why Joe doesn't want to marry her is because of his job with the army and the fact that he could be away from her for a long time or widow her or something. So he is kind of acting in her interest, but at the same time, it's obvious they need to be together um yeah the movie drags it out a bit it does before we do wrap it up though the one thing i do like is when it's revealed that they're like in the same house together when mr pendergast finds out that revelation he's so shocked but his shock comes from the fact where he mr pendergast doesn't know oh you mean joe no oh wait oh so oh, when Mr. Pendergast so finds out about right. them living together. Yeah. And then he goes, but I only introduced you to him tonight. And it's such <laughs> I a loved great that. Moment. I loved that moment. Oh, you're so right. That was a very <laughs> clever moment. Um, but then the 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 two kids come home, they're married, it's great. The old people in the lobby, which is a setup joke from before, because there's there's so many people there's in DC no that room. all of these these old people are staying in the lobby they're all there and then uh carter and connie go upstairs and they're basically arguing about how cooperative they should be which again means should they or should they not fuck which means should they or should they not be together forever a happy rom-com uh happily ever after ending 
And so as they are, as they are arguing slash basically admitting their love for each other, Pendergast gathers she up the She puts on chorus. a sexy nightgown. Oh, a right. A very <laughs> sexy nightgown. And who could resist? Um, yeah, they're, they're going to do it. And as they do it, they're going to do it to the, to the romantic sounds of a bunch of old men singing about torpedoes full steam ahead. I mean, double entendre. (laughs) And that's the end of the movie. It's a very fun, very silly movie. And yeah, Coburn, right. You mentioned, I think in the last episode, Coburn won an Academy Award for this. Oh, he actually won. I know that a bunch of them were nominated. I think he's the only one that won, but I don't know. It says two wins, five total nominations. He definitely deserves it. I I thought that he was great. He he won as soon as he took the part. Yeah, Um, it was nominated for Best Picture. Gene Arthur was nominated. George Stevens was nominated. So Joel McRae was not, but it got Best Writing for Original Story and Screenplay. Wow. Yeah, Coburn. Way to go. Yeah, he's he's great. So then that that leads me to our classic question. Who would we kill from this movie when everyone's so adorable? It's got to be Morton. Crowd fan non-favorite Morton. What the heck was he thinking? Answering someone else's phone? Come on. I've got one thing to say to Morton. And, you know, at first I was like a Pendergast toupee because it's truly terrible. But, um, yeah, I'm going to have to agree with you on Morton. And I've got one thing to say to Morton. Snitches get stitches. Yeah, Morton. You don't don't snitch to the FBI, Morton. That's not cool. Yeah. And... Yeah, it's clear that he's not a bad guy. He's a he's a he's in the army. Support the troops. It's your patriotic duty to not tell the FBI that your own countrymen are enemies. Morton. So, uh, I I'm curious to know how you turn this into a horror movie because it's such a delightful little flick that adding some rated R gruesomeness to it might be a little hard you know i actually kind of you inspire me brett i kind of feel like i wrote a brett sci-fi horror movie whoa Uh, i can't wait it's short but it has the, the idea has some some heft um so the the name of it though is pretty obvious i called it the more the scarier Oh, so close. The more the bloodier is what I went with. Oh, but I wanted something that rhymed with merrier. With merrier. Yeah, no, you're right. You're merrier, scarier. No, I mean, I'm not saying it because... I know, but I like it. <laughs> yours fits. Yours is, yours is good. So, yeah, the more the scarier. 2043, Austin, Texas. An extreme... Yeah shelter shortage due to the technological singularity wars and if if you've first heard of the you're first hearing about the singularity this is the point at which uh technology ai becomes self-aware and then terminator style tries to eradicate the human race because we're a blight on the earth um all the ai needs to do is just like flick a switch to shut down our electrical grid or whatever happened last winter (laughs) 
Right. So, so Wouldn't now it be hard it, for an AI? it's it's 2043, not 1943, and we're dealing with this extreme shelter shortage. It's the people versus the machine. They can either try to make room within the the you know the scattered factions that are trying to fight the good fight, or they can submit an application to Connie. Connie being in all caps. Connie is a self-aware AI that has taken over the formal Apple computer campus in North Austin. Yeah, so, I like it. <laughs> so Connie, Connie in my my horror movie version of this movie is not a woman. She is a computer. Right. Specifically an Apple computer. <laughs> oh, but you have to imagine Connie's fortress is just filled with like beautiful white uh, walls and chrome and, you know, every like ge- genius bar aesthetic. Oh, um, yeah. So they decide that they're going to go for Connie Dingle and Carter. They're, they're two guys that decide that they're going to, to try their luck to find shelter in the embrace of the machines because even in the technological singularity wars, you you get to pick sides. There are some people who are kind of pro, like let the machines win, and and Dingle and Carter, they're pragmatists. They they want to to figure this out. Um, so they go through these crazy tests to, in Connie's language, eliminate corrupted units and reveal the intelligent units that will become a part of her mysterious plan. So I, I guess Squid Game style. I haven't watched Squid Game. I probably haven't watched it because it's so hyped up, and I have this weird thing where I'm like, ew, no, everybody likes it, and I'm different and special. Um, but also, I mean, I hate to be, like, I, I always tell people when they tell me to watch Squid Game, like, I hate to be the hipster, but, like... Me and you have like a good amount of South Korean experience under our belts. So like Squid Games does kind of just look like stuff that we've seen before. Like, Are you gatekeeping Korean I, horror? No, I don't want <laughs> to be that guy, but it's like, you know what? Yeah, I'll I'll watch it ten years later like Squid I did with game. the wire. <laughs> like, Haven't you seen I'm the Devil? <laughs> for for ten years I, I I refused to watch The Wire. And then one day I decided, okay, episode one, I was hooked. It's a great show. I'm sure Squid Games will be the same thing. I am very similar, although I'm one of I'm part of that like one percent of people that was just not into the wire. I just oh, it is good. I mean, I I don't know. I feel like like HBO is really enamored with male anti heroes that are bad dads. Like I don't I don't get it. Like yeah, I, I'm not I'm not into <laughs> bad dads. I like good moms. Um, <laughs> but uh, yeah, no, but. But they're Saw style, Squid Game style. There are tests meant to eliminate those that do not pass inspection. And I wonder if the spin or the angle, you can help me with this, should be etiquette based. 
like Connie has all of these ideas for what is the proper etiquette, like the amount of time it should take someone to get ready in the morning. And if they can't do Connie's schedule, um, they get kicked out of the apartment, but outside the apartment isn't a hall. It's a bottomless pit. Like, you know, there, there are a lot of ways you could go or like, they have a great yeah, everyone for- when you wake up you could have like a montage of stuff yeah like everyone gets a little blip on their phones everyone's got their little watches and they all get their itinerary and it's like bing you should be in the shower okay they go to the shower and if you fall behind yeah you get muscled out you get thrown out <laughs> Right, but you have to be Connie's perfect automatons. You have to be able to get with this program. And Dingle and Carter are able to get to the program. And along the way, they also hook up with this woman named Jean. And the three of them kind of form this this bond. This they're They're in this together. And maybe cube style, each of them has a different talent. Like Dingle is good at math and and strategizing. Joe is strong and can take care of anything physical. And Gene is persuasive and understands how to manipulate the machines in a way that Dingle and Carter don't quite get. So they manage to get towards what feels like the end of these bizarre, horrible tests. Uh, and by this point, of course, Carter and Jean are in love. Uh, and Dingle thinks of her as a daughter. And it's just, you know, it's a happy family of three, right? And then <laughs> Connie reveals that Jean is her android agent. Um, what is that movie with the female android? Is it Metropolis? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, she's a Metropolis. Um, <laughs> so, oh, no. so she's, she's actually, or, uh, what was the, what was the movie where Alicia Vikander is a machine? Yeah, Ex Machina. Yeah, she's, she's a, she's an Ex Machina. Uh, and. What, what other female robots do you know? <laughs> She's a species. No, that's an alien. (laughs) Um, But it's like, oh, no, Gene was a robot all along. Uh, And. Oh, Rosie from the Jetsons. Okay. (laughs) Yeah, she she's definitely Rosie from the Jetsons. Uh, And her plan is that Dingle and Carter take Gene and infiltrate the remaining human shelters and camps and then infect them with a virus that was obviously created in Connie's lab that would kill off the rest of the humans. Like a worm? a, a worm or or like like, like like a worm eating the apple you can have some imagery there apple mac worms viruses something something like that but it's bio warfare and then in exchange dingle and carter would receive the only vaccines uh and so they have this choice like either they can live for the rest of their lives in this colorless world where every other person is virtually dead or they can try to fight the good fight and stop Connie. So of course they want to be heroic and stop Connie. But then in my version of this event, Gene goes all T-1000. There's another robot for you. Uh, And 
maybe it seems like they're going to win out. There's like a long protracted final battle, but because my horror movie twists are really dark, they do not win in the end. And then Gene sits expressionless and Connie says, there will be more to which Gene replies, the more the merrier. Aww, I like that. But it's creepy. Right, yeah, no, it's a great ending, but it's bad for people. Good for robots, bad for people. Yes, in in this version, I mean, I don't know, I feel like humans were pretty outclassed if if this type of uh, future comes to pass. Right. Uh, we'll definitely need uh, time travel to help with this. <laughs> um i've got i've got a connie for you connie computerized internal neural network interface experience yes i love it i love it i knew connie had to be an acronym but i just didn't have the um the procedural language for it i i think that's perfect (laughs) i think it's perfect though so so what was your angle uh, my angle was going to be like, uh, speaking of I Saw the Devil, I went with more of an I Saw the Devil kind of let's get a bunch of serial killers in one spot. <gasps> Are all three of them, them serial fight. killers? Well, no, I've got. Damn. I, I don't I don't really have a love interest in this. So I don't have I mean, it doesn't it's a horror. It doesn't have to have love interest. Right. So I just took the guy. So I'll say Joe. You can say Joe or Connie, but I'm just going to say Joe. Joe is a reporter and he he's he kind of like stalks and catches serial killers. But he's like a good guy reporter. So he's kind of like the guy from Hannibal, the good guy from Hannibal who's like he's a profiler yeah he can like see what people are are, he's just very good at at sneaking around and asking the right questions so he's not quite a profiler he's just a really good detective guy who asks a lot of good questions but he catches the main bad guy which is dingle right so he catches dingle and dingle is essentially going to be our hannibal and so while they're in prison what's his signature or uh i i don't know maybe cooking people alive full steam ahead <laughs> um <laughs> putting people in right. in uh the place strapping people to torpedoes and right, firing yeah. them. <laughs> um and so he and the torpedoes are shaped like coffins and so he kind of hints to be, to Joe that like, hey, there's more going on. I'm just the tip of the iceberg. If you really want to know more, what you should do is you should pretend to be me. And then you can infiltrate this secret underground world of serial killers. So Joe has no choice, right? He's got to know the truth. He's one of those um, characters from midnight meat train he's like a he's like a bradley cooper he's just driven by the truth is he a nightcrawler or wait is nightcrawler not about the truth no nightcrawler is not about the truth nightcrawler is about capitalism just get that money honey no he's Uh like um he's he's like jake g and zodiac he's just gotta know yes 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 that's the right jakey g um and so once we get to this secret society of well it's not quite a society it's just a group we meet the cast of characters. And so here are going to be, I'm going to give you five characters real quick. One is going to be the boy Ooh. scout. 
So the Boy Scout, his Was trademark, that Morton? I mean, it's going to be Morton, but we don't know his name. They just refer to him as the Boy Scout, right? Oh, I like it. So, it feels very Sin City. Yeah. Yes, exactly. So th- that would be the perfect aesthetic for this kind of oh, thing. Oh, Elijah Wood is Morton? <laughs> oh, yeah. And so it, the Boy Scout kills people by doing Boy Scout stuff. And then his trademark is he leaves a little, what, what do you call it? Like the badges. He leaves a little badge. Like <laughs> He gives in them their, a badge? Yeah. He's like, you know, he kills them by strangling them with a knot. And then he leaves his knot tying badge. Um, and then That's we awesome. have... We have the slightly annoyed lady. So the lady who was like, can we ask why you made us come all the way out here? So we're going to have kind of like a Karen type lady who is, is going to be. No, it's just going to be a person who's like kill Bill, you know, and kill Bill when the bride has those flashbacks. And it's like, whoa. It's going to be like that, where maybe someone does something and it reminds her of a bad customer service experience she has, so then she murders them. Um, And then, (laughs) so she's just a crazy person. (laughs) Then our third one is going to be the FBI missing person profiler. So instead of, like, a reporter guy who just asks questions, the profiler actively, like, researches them from the inside out and hunts them down but he's kind of like a dexter the only reason why he's finding the people taking these missing people is so he can make those people missing Uh Uh then we're gonna have a taxi driver character i don't see why we can't just do some kind of spoof on robert de niro but you know we have a cabbie in the movie who causes a little bit of trouble for our main characters maybe he only takes a full cab and then he like blows it up with himself in the cab but then he's always miraculously unscathed or someday a real raid's gonna come (laughs) that's i knew i knew you would say that that's my favorite is my favorite line ever uh the real rain will come wash the scum away from these streets but yeah he can always say like i need a full cab and then like once everyone gets in it explodes then we have the old men which is like a um, an eyes wide shut type secret society where they can like sing songs and all be creepy. And like, you know, just the fact that there's a bunch of old men in a lobby in this movie is weird. So we'll fit that in. But then we, we basically tease each character. We see each of them commit a kill as our character watches from a distance because he's trying to spy on them. He goes back to Hannibal to talk to Hannibal, you know, Dingle. And like gives him little and Dingle gives him little breadcrumbs of like how to track down these people. But then all the people get together. What's in it for Dingle? Ah, well, they all get together and it turns out they all had to bring their own guests to this mega mansion, creepy haunted house type thing. Oh, like dinner for schmucks? Yeah. But when they all when the serial killers all go into the basement or the attic or the cemetery behind the house, whatever it is. They end up resurrecting a demon, and the demon says, congratulations, there's only 20 more people you need to kill before I'm fully resurrected at full power. Now, here's the thing. They each invited so many guests, and then themselves included, there's 21 people in this house, which means there can only be one survivor, and that survivor will take over the demonic powers. 
So this is where we just get to have fun, go nuts. Boy Scout boy gets to do all of his crazy signature kills. It's like One Punch Man. They're all doing their signature kills. They're throwing super moves out left and right. Finally, it comes down to the end of the slaughter. And of course, Joe is the one who kills the last person last. The demon comes out and the demon takes over Ben's body. And then, you know, we cut to like the jail where Dingle is being held. And Joe goes in to talk to Hannibal and or Dingle. And he's like, you know, I'm uh, it's it's me. But when he says it's me, he's got a glint in his eye. And it's like, (laughs) I'm ready for my orders captain captain dingle or whatever his name is gonna be and so it's like oh hannibal worked it the whole time so now even though he's in prison he's got a super demon killer in the palm of his hand ready to do as he commands so yeah what's in it for dingle world domination or evil triumphs whatever he's whatever so dingle gets his happy ending right yeah, Connie gets her happy after. ending. I I like that both of us went dark this time. Maybe it's you know we're recording this a little before Halloween. Maybe the yeah. the spooky season is working its magic on us. Yeah, but the 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 rom com ended so sweetly. I mean, if you're gonna make it a horror movie, why not? Oh well, we killed those darlings. That's for sure. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Well, before we get into Love Bites, I would just like to remind all of you to like, follow, subscribe, rate us wherever you listen to podcasts and follow us on social media at NecromancerPod. Oh, and if you ever get it into your mind, maybe I'd like to send them a little letter. You can always email us at necromancerpodcast at gmail.com. Now then, Love Bites, where we like to recommend something for the week. What you got, Brett? Have you seen WandaVision? Yes, I loved it. Have you Paul seen... Paul Bettany's never looked better. Oh. Have you seen Loki? Uh, no, but I want to. Okay, so I had seen WandaVision. I had seen Loki. I loved both of them. But Sonya and I, I think as most people, we kind of like rode off Falcon and Winter Soldier. Is like, eh, we'll catch up with it when we want to. Well, we finally decided to catch up with it. And after the very first episode, I have to say, it was extremely hard to not binge the entire thing. And so it took a little bit of self-discipline, but we broke it up into three sections. Uh, it's only six episodes. Anthony Mackie in the show is really good. Oh, Sebastian, he's so good. He's a friend of the podcast. He was in our What's Your Number episode. Oh, yeah. Uh, Sebastian Stan is really good in this show. And they work really well together because they don't like each other because they both were Captain America's best friend. And so then they have that antagonistic little relationship of like, you know, like move your seat up. No, I'm not going to move my seat up. But as the show goes on, of course, they they still try to convince each other that they're not best friends, but they end up turning into best friends. Uh, Wyatt Russell, Kurt Russell's kid, plays the new Captain America. And is he also Goldie Hawn's kid? You forgot about that part. Well, I mean, but like, yes, he is Goldie Hawn's kid, but I don't, I don't know. I, I, I didn't grow up watching a bunch of Goldie Hawn movies. I've, I've seen. 
As the rom-com half of this podcast, I need to come out to defend Goldie. No, you're right. Russell's son. Goldie's too. I wonder. You know what? (laughs) You you look at Wyatt Russell doing his his charismatic. He looks like Kurt Russell. Russell's smile, and it just oh, it's so perfect. And Captain America, the turn that they take with Captain America is unexpected. It is dark. It is gruesome. And I think this entire show is R rated. I think it's a hard R. I could not imagine little kids watching. We like hard R's on this podcast. It's, it's intense. There's some crazy stuff that happens, but they deal with PTSD. They deal with race. I think they deal with it in ways that are very satisfying as a story, but also it's like, Hey, just, Listen to the people around you and don't be crazy. Don't fall into the hype of media and news and nationalism and take all note of that. 1943. Yeah. Like just be cool to the people with you. However, all right, here we go. Daniel Bruhl as Baron Zemo. I know nothing about this character from the comics. I just know I that Daniel Bruhl. I just Bruhl's, heard this name today. Daniel Bruhl is a good actor. He was in. Civil War. He's the character in Civil War who killed all the... the, Well, he's the one who wants to kill all the super soldiers ever because he doesn't like super soldiers because he thinks super soldiers leads to nationalism and and xenophobia and like we all need our own super... He's not wrong. He's a bad guy, but he's not wrong. Essentially... Those are the best bad guys. uh, Baron Zemo, I don't know how he is in the comics, but essentially they turned him into the Punisher for super soldiers in this show. And he is... Sonya and I are in love with Baron Zemo. He's got, like... This is the kind of show where everyone's always trying to convince each other to not do the thing that they clearly want to do. Like, I'm going to kill you. No, don't. Then you're just as bad as us. Like, oh, they do that a lot. But there's one point where they talk about how they're going to bring in the super soldiers peacefully right in front of Baron Zemo. And then they have to address the fact that Baron Zemo's only plan in this mission, his only objective is to kill them all. And they're like, oh, hey, Baron Zemo, by the way, we're going to need a little bit of your cooperation. Like, you can't kill them. And Zemo's response is, I'm sure this will all come to an agreeable conclusion. (laughs) And he does it in his, like, European accent way. And it just, he fucking crushes it. I loved Zemo. It's worth it just for Zemo. However, everyone in the show does great. Uh, Yeah, don't sit on Winter Soldier and Falcon and it's awesome. It is Duly awesome. noted. And it's very it is very spy heavy. Like it's it's a bombastic spy movie, but I like how they embrace the genres that they they tickle the the movies into, you know. Very nice. Yeah. So how about you? What's your love bite? And now for something completely different. <laughs> I was thinking about how this movie was a, a cohabitation romance. It, it, we gave a, a little tease, a, 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 I don't know, a 15-minute marriage of convenience before it turned into cool. a real marriage. But I thought, you know, if that's something that you like, if that's a romance trope that you're into, there is a Korean drama going back to Korean shows that is not Squid Game. 
uh, and is a fluffy, cute, romantic show. And it's called Because This Is My First Life. It's on Netflix. And the plot of the show is a female TV writer decides to enter into a marriage of convenience with this man who seems very, he's very much as in Brett language, he is the ultimate risk assessor. And kind of like Connie, he's measuring things out. He's got a very specific schedule that he wants to follow. And they enter into this marriage of convenience so that they can share an apartment. Uh, And so you get to watch the development and it is a slow, slow burn development of their romance while also following the female protagonist's two best friends, one of whom is trying to make it in the corporate world and then dealing with all this awful sexism. And that story, while again, triggering if, if any of you have ever dealt with sexual harassment, uh maybe i had skipped this show but uh very satisfying conclusion to what happens with her friend and then her other friend has been in a relationship with the same guy forever and they've lived together forever but he just won't pop the question uh and i think all three of these storylines are resolved in very satisfying ways and and it's a really deep and introspective show about people trying to make it while also, uh, you know, trying to, to stay above everything financially in this like crazy work culture that is South Korea and being able to afford a place to live. But they're also trying to actually grow as people. And they do in a right. way that I think just works really well. So because this is my first life on Netflix, highly recommend it. Uh, it's a really nice show. Very nice. Oh, and the male, the male protagonist has a cat. Just one? It just one, but he loves it so much. A lot of stuff revolves around this cat. All right. We might have to watch that then. We do love our cats. Yes. The cat is very cute. She's very, I think it's, I don't know, but the cat's very fluffy. Very nice. All right. Uh, Tell me, Brett, how would Mr. Pender Daddy Mars sign us off? No, oh, no, wait. No. <laughs> give it, Mr. give it to me, Mr. Uh, how how would re- ask me how would Rear Admiral David Glasgow Farragut sign us off? I have no idea. I I can't repeat that. You're gonna have to answer your own question. <laughs> All right. He would say, "Damn the torpedoes! Full steamer!" <laughs> Necromancer is produced by Brett Dorman and Shira Moore. The theme song is Symphonia 3 by Kevin McLeod on the album Oddities.